This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Hey there, the pregnancy workbook is out in the world. I'm already hearing really positive and great feedback about how the book is helpful to both clinicians and people going through pregnancy anxiety. This workbook really is focused on helping people to manage and cope with anxiety and worry using skills like CBT and mindfulness. Some of the feedback includes how easy the workbook is to use while still having tons of information in there. The skills are there for you to use as needed, but there's a ton of learning in there as well. If you have the book, I would love to have a review from you on Amazon or from wherever you purchase the book online. The more support the book gets, the better it can support other people. Go search for the pregnancy workbook so you can feel heard, understood, validated, and have useful skills to help you throughout your pregnancy. Welcome to Mom and Mine, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Hey there, welcome to Mom and Mind. I am your host, Dr. Kat. I am a psychologist specializing and certified in perinatal mental health, covering all reproductive phases from trying to get pregnant, being pregnant, experiencing loss, and postpartum. I'm especially excited to bring you this episode because it marks my fifth year of doing this podcast. I can't even believe I've been doing this for five years, and it's been such an amazing journey to be able to speak to all of the guests who have come on to share their expertise, share their hearts, share their experience, so that we can all be raising the volume on these perinatal mental health conditions, because really, nobody out there should be alone at this point. Nobody should be feeling alone about going through any of these conditions. We are here. We know it. We understand it. We've been through it. I've been through it. And I sit with countless women and partners and birthing folks who are continuing to experience perinatal mood and anxiety disorders in the transition to parenthood. I just think we can be doing so much more and raising the volume so much higher. So I'm glad that you're with us. Whether you're here for personal reasons or professional reasons or you just want to learn more, I'm so glad you're here. It takes all of us in every single way we show up to help raise the volume on perinatal mental health conditions. So five years, 206 episodes, and we're still going. And to honor the five years that I've been podcasting, I am now changing 
the cover to our podcast. Still going to be Mom and Mind podcast, of course, but you'll notice a bit of a difference when you go to listen to this episode today. Mom and Mind has a bit of a facelift. So we're going to continue bringing you episodes every other week until we're just going until. So in our keeping on, keeping on, we have another guest today on Heidi McBain. She is going to be sharing with us her journey through birth trauma and miscarriage and anxiety and really to shed some light on how important it is for us to be talking about our birth experiences, addressing birth trauma, allowing yourself time and space to grieve after miscarriage, and getting the help that you deserve. Having a realistic sense of what recovery can look like and what kind of help you need and deserve. So we do talk about some sensitive topics in this episode related to birth trauma and miscarriage. So if you need to gauge for yourself, if you're ready for this episode, go ahead and do that. We will be ready and here for you whenever you're ready. Our guest Heidi has been married for almost 19 years and has two kids, one 15 and the other 12. Her family spent six years living in Lima, Peru when their kids were young. And since then, they've been in Flower Mound, Texas for the last four years. She was a stay-at-home mom when her kids were little and now works full-time as a psychotherapist. She is licensed in the state of Texas and sees moms during pregnancy, postpartum, and throughout motherhood. I'm grateful that Heidi is coming on to share her personal experience, uh, but also she brings up her professional perspective, which I think also helps give us a depth into what these things can feel like and what recovery can feel and be like. So let's get into it and meet Heidi. Welcome, Heidi. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you wanting to come on and share your personal story. It's, as you know, being in the field, it's really, really important to hear people's stories and and know that we're not alone. And everybody's story is, you know, different from the next person's, but also there's so many similarities that uh, run through all of our stories. So um, I'm happy to have you share yours and welcome you to start wherever you'd like with your experience. Thank you. Well, why don't we start with my first pregnancy? And when I was pregnant with my daughter, and this was 16 years ago now, so it's been a while, my pregnancy itself was very normal, you know, nothing out of the ordinary. My, my labor was also pretty normal. It started, we went to the hospital. I did realize pretty quickly that my doctor was not on call at all. She was out of town. So I knew she was not going to be at the birth in any way, shape or form. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, the first part of my laboring, I had someone that I'd never met before. And then in the middle, the shift changed and then somebody else came in. So it was just that piece of it, I think was really unexpected. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even realize my doctor was out of town, which I thought was kind of interesting too. I think I had seen her the week before and then she was on vacation because this was a summer, summer baby. Oh boy. And, you know, so everything seemed like it was progressing normally. I was getting pretty tired. Like I'd been laboring all night and I remember thinking, okay, this is taking a while and I'm getting tired. And the doctor was trying the suction to get my daughter out. Um, and it didn't work. And at that point, the room just filled with people. And I remember mm. just being terrified yeah. and nobody explained 
what was going on and why all these people were suddenly in here. And what ended up happening is they did an episiotomy, got her out, and everything was fine. After that, it was like once they did the episiotomy um, and pulled her out, everybody left. Um, but I think, you know, there was some expectation that something wasn't going to go quite as planned. And then, you know, this doctor, again, that I'd never met before, sewed me up and sent me on my way. Mm -hmm. And I saw my normal doctor pretty soon after that. And, you know, she, she said everything looked good and, you know, I should be healed up pretty soon. And I, I remember contacting her thinking, you know, this is taking a while. Mm. Uh, and it was months, you know, usually, wow. you know, they say, oh, you come back for the six week appointment and you're fine. I mean, this, this was months that it took to finally heal up. And I think, you know, the hardest part was she wasn't there. So mm -hmm. she was kind of reassuring me that everything was fine. And what I realized once I had my son a few years later, and, you know, we can talk a little bit about his pregnancy and birth and postpartum, because there was a lot with that. Mm -hmm. But what I did realize after his birth was that, you know, I asked, my doctor was there for that one. I said, Oh, are you going to sew me up now? And she said, Oh, no, you don't need that. And I remember thinking, Oh, hmm. that's what like that wasn't normal what happened oh, with yeah. my first you know it didn't like I didn't have words for it until I had this you know maybe more normal birth that didn't need an episiotomy I honestly thought oh everybody must need this mm -hmm. and it must mm -hmm. take everybody months and months to heal right and so I think you know I was finally able to put words to it at that point that there actually was some trauma in there Mm -hmm. for me, especially, mm -hmm. you know, when all the people came in and nobody explained what was going on and what was happening, I felt terrified that something was really wrong. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I know that, you know, and you know this too, but a lot of people who have that feeling of feeling terrified, it doesn't register as traumatizing until sometimes much later. Exactly. Exactly. And I think too, I mean, there's this piece when we talk about trauma, that it must be a big T trauma. Right, right, it must right. be something that anybody could look in from the outside and say, oh, yes, I would be traumatized mm -hmm. in that same situation versus for me, okay, it was maybe smaller T trauma, but it was still really traumatic. And yeah. so, you know, just being able to, to name it and say, yes, that was traumatic for me, just shifted things. It, it really helped to be able to say that. And I think for a lot of women, that can be really helpful just to say there were pieces of this where I was terrified that something was wrong with me, something was right. wrong with my baby, you know, and that nobody was sharing this information with me. Right. This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go. And that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Uliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. 
I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. I imagine too, it just being, these, these things just happened around you and with nobody explaining it, you're kind of left to assume that this is, uh, you know, first it's a big deal or then maybe it's normal and, and going back and forth between like, you know, if you don't have any explanation, how do you know what's common or not? Exactly. And I think it was made worse that I never saw this doctor again. Mm-hmm. That was the only time I had any, you know, any sort of exposure to her. Oh. So yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting because had it been my own doctor, I think we would have had a conversation mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. About the episiotomy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Right. So nobody asked you or told you what was happening, asked you what your preferences were. No. Oh. no. And I assume that with everybody rushing in there and not having the explanation, well, um, well I guess I can ask a separate question. W- was there anybody else in there with you that you that you knew or felt comfortable with, like a partner or family member? Yeah. My husband was there. I would say he was very traumatized by the whole thing too. Yeah. Like we can definitely talk about it now and say, okay, like we, you know, we're traumatized together by everything. Cause again, he, he wasn't hearing anything either. Nobody was talking about anything. Weird. Yeah. Just things were just happening with um, no explanation at all. Exactly. For either one of us. Wow. Yeah. I, I want, sometimes I wonder like, are, are the, nurses and physicians just so like used to doing their job that they forget that, you know, the people who are going through birth and labor have no idea what's going on. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think about like how bizarre all these people came in and nobody thought to tell us anything about what was going on and why. Yeah. It seems like a relatively simple thing to do, but but apparently not. (laughs) I mean, you know, I imagine uh, some uh, providers are just, you know, doing their job and making sure that you're safe and, you know, checking those kinds of boxes, but not really considering too much your, your kind of internal mental, emotional experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, the, just a second. Okay. So jumping back in. Uh, So it was several years later that this kind of came together for you to understand it. Yeah. I would say with the birth of my son that, 
came together. And I can talk a little bit about, you know, my experience kind of between my two kids kind yeah. of leading into his birth. Yeah, yeah. So we, you know, waited a couple years before we felt ready to have a, a second. And I honestly just assumed everything was going to go really smoothly with a second pregnancy, just like with my first. And I ended up having a miscarriage at 12 weeks and mm. six days. And I think that's really significant because I felt afterwards, like I, if I had just held on a little bit longer, I would have been in the safe zone oh, no. and that it was my fault. Oh my gosh. And so after the miscarriage, I was really, really upset. Mm -hmm. And I went in to see my doctor. And I remember sitting there just waiting for her to give me a referral to counseling. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a counselor, like, I remember my assumption being everybody that goes through something like this needs to talk to a mental health professional yeah. before they're ready to try again and get pregnant again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I did not leave with a business card to see yeah. anyone. And I think, you know, what's really unfortunate is it took me months after that to actually go and talk to someone Oh, um, versus had she handed me a card. Mm -hmm. I, I'm very compliant. I would have called that day <laughs> and probably been seen the next week. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so it just kind of prolonged the grief and the, the pain that I was in. And I think, you know, I remember thinking, oh, okay, well, she must just think I'll feel better on my own with some time once we can start trying again. Mm. And, you know, I remember I was like watching my daughter playing in the backyard because I was, I just didn't have the energy to go out there. And I thought, oh my gosh, like if I don't do something about this, I'm, I'm going to miss this. I'm not going to be mm. here. I'm going to be lost in the grief. And so I was proactive and found somebody locally and thankfully, you know, cause this is what, 13 years ago. I mean, thankfully it was someone who was also a mom and had, you know, knowledge of motherhood things. She had also been through a miscarriage. And so I didn't have to explain it. She had, had been through it as well. Mm -hmm. And I found this person all on my own, you know, no, mm -hmm. no medical person was involved. But I do just remember being really shocked that this wasn't a commonplace, like, you know, yes, we're going to address the physical piece. And mm -hmm. you might want to consider talking to a mental health professional. Right. I mean, just in, in your two experiences so far, I'm kind of oversimplifying and boiling it down a little bit too much. But what strikes me is that is what I a similarity that I hear with a lot of other people too, is that the the non-response or non-answer or not addressing of the mental uh, mental health of the person who's going through whatever um, by the physician or nurse is almost like it makes you then feel like there's something that, that you should just feel like this is all normal. Right. It's a, just a super powerful example of, of how not attending to this can leave people feeling really badly for a long time. Exactly. And I would say with my own clients, people that come in and, and have experienced a miscarriage, we 
really talk about like, let's give you some time and space to grieve mm-hmm. so that you will be ready when you get pregnant again. Right, right. So that this doesn't come up, you know, in postpartum. I'm sure you see a lot of people with this too, where, where they come in and it looks like it's postpartum depression. But when you get deeper, it's actually they never grieve the loss, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a miscarriage that they had, they never grieved, they just like, you know, went on got oftentimes pregnant right away, and felt like, you know, the the new pregnancy would would just take the place of the other one. And that's not true. It's like, you have to create space Mm -hmm. to feel all the feelings and grieve the loss so that you can move forward. Yeah, I really appreciate you bringing that in. It's, it is such an important point to allow time for grieving. Uh, And even, I don't know, like, let's say that provider after you had the miscarriage had addressed it on some way, it would almost be like validating that you have something to grieve about. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. And I, I think the other piece was I went to counseling to, to grieve this miscarriage, but I stayed. And once I was pregnant again, I realized the shift was, oh, wow, my anxiety is also really high because I feel like I'm going to have another loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you, if whatever you feel comfortable with um, in your experience, can you talk a little bit about what that was like? Yeah, I think, you know, I was surprised at first you know, and I, I'm in the field, right. But this, Mm -hmm. you know, I was surprised back then that once I felt better about the grief and once I was pregnant again, the expectation was, okay, you know, I may not need to do this much longer. And what I realized was the anxiety was, was sky high. And I thought, oh, okay, once I'm through, you know, into my second trimester, I'll feel better. And it stayed. And so I stayed in counseling and then, you know, what, what happened was on an ultrasound at 20 weeks, they found that my son had a two prong umbilical cord instead of three. And I know there's a technical name for it and I can't remember what it is. And so then my anxiety went through the roof because Mm -hmm. it can mean nothing, or it can mean your baby's going to be super small or have a lot of other issues moving forward. And so that was unfortunately the second half of my pregnancy. And so for me, I was so thankful I was already in counseling because it it helped me contain that anxiety as much as I could, not knowing how it was going to turn out until, you know, baby was actually here. Uh, Right. Did at the time going through it yourself, was there an understanding or realization either from you or your therapist or anybody around you that, that the anxiety you were experiencing in pregnancy was related to miscarriage? Yeah, she did a really good job, I think, because she had experienced it herself mm-hmm. between her two kids. I mean, it was really amazing how our stories lined up mm-hmm. because, you know, I think, you know, again, this, this was a while ago before, like, we had social media, and everyone had a website. And, (laughs) you know, so it, it just felt like, really, like she was, was meant to be my therapist, because she was exactly who I needed um, at that time. And so 
I think clinically she, she understood where the anxiety was coming from and then understood why it would be heightened after the ultrasound at 20 weeks and the information we got. Oh uh, yeah, that's great. I mean, you got, you, you found the right person then uh, to support you through this. Because even, I think even for very well-intentioned, but uninformed therapists, the, it, it's not fully understood that it's reasonable to feel anxious. Like there, you have, right. you have, you've been through something, you have a full reason to feel anxious and worried the second go or third go or whatever during pregnancy again. Exactly. If you are a person just like me, who's gone through a perinatal mental health condition, you know how isolating and lonely it can be. You might also have realized how few people really truly understand what's going on, and that can sometimes include family, friends, medical providers, everybody. Postpartum Support International is working very hard to make sure that every single person knows and understands perinatal mental health conditions. In an effort in this direction, they host the world's largest event for perinatal mental health awareness called Climb Out of the Darkness. Every year, people in small and large communities gather all over the world to come together with a community of people who really, really understand what's going on, other people who've been through it. What's really fantastic about this event is that you can participate if you've been feeling the call to join other people who really understand what you're going through and who've also been through it themselves. Find a local climb in your area. And if there isn't a climb, you can actually start one. It's pretty easy to do, and PSI and the Climb Out of the Darkness team have streamlined everything so that whether you're hosting a small walk around the park or a huge climb through some actual mountains, you can be part of this growing community. To find out more, go to climboutofthedarkness.com or email cotd at postpartum.net. Find a climb, lead a climb, sponsor a climb, or even climb right from your couch. Or you can even do a virtual climb right from your house. All of the funds raised go back to PSI, PSI chapters, and local organizations doing work on the ground to help raise awareness and let everyone know who's gone through these conditions that you are not alone. So in your experience of through pregnancy after the loss, the miscarriage, working with your therapist, how did you cope with the anxiety? Were there things that you were doing or specifically in or out of therapy or was it supportive just to be able to talk about it or all of the above? I'd say all of the above. I think therapy was huge. Just having a safe space mm-hmm. where I could talk about it. That was even separate from my husband because as great and supportive as he is, grief is a very personal journey. Mm-hmm. And so I needed to go through my piece, he needed to needed to go through his piece. And when my anxiety showed up afterwards, I mean, I think he was surprised, right? Because he, Mm. I think thought I was just going to grieve as was I. But once the anxiety showed up, we talked about it, you know, and he didn't have the same anxiety until we found out about the umbilical cord. Oh, interesting. And then I would say, you know, that brought in kind of more kind of collective Mm-hmm. Um, anxiety between the two of us. Yeah. But it, there was just something about being able to go to therapy and just talk about it one-on-one, you know, just separate from all my other relationships that was helpful. And then she was big on, you know, trying to stay present and grounded. So meditation, I like to write. So I did a lot of processing through journaling, getting outside, you know, even just 
taking my daughter and going for a walk around the block was really helpful. So I would say those were the major things that I used. And ironically, like they're still part of my life today. (laughs) I do my meditation and my journaling and my exercise pretty much every day. Yeah, I'm... I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. I I wonder, you know, in, in in regards to your experience, obviously those things were helpful, but I've what I've heard from a lot of other people is that there's there's still some anxiety there. It's not like it goes away totally until you're, you know, assured that baby's healthy and okay. And then even after that, sometimes it doesn't. Was yeah. That mm-hmm. Yeah, that was definitely my experience. And I think, you know, like Google was helpful in a sense, because there were definitely, you know, a large percentage of babies that were totally fine. But then there was also, you know, the other percentage of, of all the things that could possibly happen. And then we also went in, I think one of the positives for this was we were getting ultrasounds, maybe every two weeks. And so you know, we were monitoring his growth, and he was growing fine. And we were, you know, monitoring a lot of other things. So the more of those that happened in the second half of the pregnancy, the better I felt. Mm -hmm. And I can go into, you know, kind of birth and him. So he ended up measuring really big. And, you know, again, like a lot of the stuff with this two prong cord is that you could have smaller babies. And so they ended up inducing 10 days early and the induction went fine. The birth went fine and he was over nine pounds. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> this was my first <laughs> <Two very> big babies. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so, yeah. And, and then everything checked out. I mean, he was totally fine. He's 
they'll totally fine. So for Mm -hmm. us, you know, we had a really good outcome from that. But I will say, you know, with the anxiety, I closed out with my therapist right before I went in for my induction. Mm -hmm. And the anxiety came back Mm -hmm. postpartum. Mm -hmm. And I think that piece was really hard. And, you know, so he, he was basically fine, except he was jaundice. And it turned out during birth, he had broken collarbone. So that was kind of ironic, right? I was fine this time around, Mm -hmm. but he actually had a broken collarbone. It took him a little while to find it. And what really made the anxiety spike was three weeks after I gave birth, I was breastfeeding. And after nursing him, he started choking and he stopped breathing. And, and we had to call 911, like, you know, while they were on their way, like he started breathing again, thank God, and, Mm -hmm. you know, just started wailing. And then by the time, you know, the paramedics were there, he was totally crashed out and sleeping. But you know, we still went went to the hospital, and it turned out he had really bad reflux. And so I think like, this is the other piece with the anxiety is, and my husband and I still joke about this, that we did not sleep until he was nine months. Mm -hmm. And was sitting up and the reflux was gone because he was Mm -hmm. having to sleep on like a special elevated pillow. And he, there was so much involved with that. And I think that also just kept my anxiety really high. Totally. Like like correlation between not sleeping and being anxious anyway. And so, you know, I think I, at this point really regret not going back to Mm -hmm. therapy. And unfortunately, Mm -hmm. you know, again, this was, you know, years ago. So they didn't have the online options that we have now, right, right, you know, and so just the thought taking him across town with me to go see the same therapist, it just didn't seem plausible. And then I, I will say my because my husband and I were going through lack of sleep together, because we were both constantly up checking on him to make mm-hmm. sure he was okay. That really helped, right? I wasn't so alone in this. He was right oh, yeah. with me. And so I think that that was just part of the support was we were doing the best we could supporting each other. Oh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a lot. So uh, in, in terms of just uh, the whole, all of your experiences kind of building on each other, not that you didn't have time in between to heal and grieve, but certainly that's a lot of stress um, related to, to just pregnancy and childbearing and, and postpartum. Yeah. yeah, in terms of those anxiety producing experiences, but, but on top of that, then the sleep deprivation. And, and it sounds like you also had to either hold your son up for a while after feeding, or he had to be propped up for long, long periods of time. Yeah, that's exactly right. That on top of, he had some kind of medication that he Mm -hmm. also had to take to announce at three weeks old (laughs) reflux medication. Right. So you said it was a pretty bad reflux. Yeah. They, they brought us in to do, I think it's barium there. Mm-hmm. You like you put it in a bottle with milk mm-hmm. and then we could see on the screen how the milk would go down and it immediately came back up. Wow. We, you didn't even need a doctor to say, oh, okay, something's mm-hmm. really off here, but with the medication and popping them up and then keeping them elevated to sleep, that all helps 
immensely. And then once he was sitting up on his own around nine months, then it completely went away. He didn't need the medication. It, mm. it was completely gone. Wow. That's a long time. Yeah. Uh, that's a really long time. And I, I know a lot of parents whose kids have reflux doctors, physicians will tell them, oh, it'll resolve in three months or so, or four months or whatever. But I hear a lot of this, like a longer term reflux stuff. It doesn't mm-hmm. just like magically go away when they're three months old. Yeah, the time. it definitely was on the longer end. So was he also uncomfortable, fussy, crying, like that kind of stuff too, because of the reflux? He was a pretty happy baby. Oh. Yeah. So, you know, minus, minus what happened at three weeks with the medication and, you know, us doing these other things, he was pretty happy. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it didn't affect his personality at all. And, and really, for him, he was also a pretty good sleeper. Mm. You know, it's just kind of ironic because my husband and I weren't sleeping right. for those nine months, yeah. right? But for him, he, he did really well. Yeah, well, yeah, he's like, this is awesome. I'm being held all the time and uh, right. uh, <laughs> being made comfortable. Well, yeah, I mean, you guys, you guys did a lot of work. It's so nice to hear, too, that you did it together um, and that you didn't have to yeah. feel alone in that. Um, yeah, that sure. can at nighttime can feel so isolating yeah, sure when can. you're up for your, you know, your third shift or whatever. <laughs> Sometimes night doesn't feel like rest time um, because, because of all of that. Yeah. I'd love to hear a couple, maybe two different kind of perspectives from your own personal experience, what you would have wished people had told you or what you wish you would have known going through all of this. And then after that, maybe also professionally, what, what your, your hope is for, for people who are suffering. So what do you wish you would have known? What would have been helpful to you? Sure. I would say with my first birth, it would have been helpful for somebody to acknowledge that was traumatic Mm -hmm. for me and that it was outside of the norm, Mm -hmm. especially my healing time. And with the miscarriage I wish my doctor or maybe someone else in my life had given me a card for someone that specializes in perinatal mental health Mm -hmm. and grief so that I could have gone in much, much sooner than I did to um, help with the grief and then the anxiety with my next pregnancy. And then I would say, you know, my last piece is my therapist was great during my pregnancy with my second. And then we closed out like his birth was just magically going to cure mm-hmm. all my anxiety. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I really wish we had at least done a check-in session mm-hmm. afterwards and it had at least made that happen. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. Some of that continuity after afterwards too. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes a whole lot of sense. I'm, I'm pretty sure your experience, your own personal experiences led you to specialize in being a therapist with this population also. So how did that come about? Were you already a therapist or yeah, what happened? Yeah. So I was already a therapist, but after I had my first, I was able to stay home and I was also, I had been doing a lot of play therapy and therapy with adolescents at that point. And I really wanted to focus on my own kids. So I stayed home 
for a little while. And then when my kids were older and I was ready to come back into the field, this was the piece that, that kept coming up. And I thought, you know, our field is amazing and that you can shift when you're ready to shift. Yeah. So, yeah. So I took a lot of classes with Postpartum Support International and took the test for the perinatal mental health certification and started seeing moms. That's awesome. That's fantastic. So I I love that you were able to come back and fulfill like that part of of your experience by helping other people um, in that way. It's, it's so lovely. I mean, and I think too, in this specialty in particular, um, you don't have to have gone through something like this in order to support people through it. But for those who have gone through a, a really challenging set of times and decide to specialize, it's just so maybe, and maybe this is your experience too. For me anyways, it's so cool to see people heal. Yes. Yes. Cause Absolutely. we know what it's like to feel that bad. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, great. I'm glad you're out in the world uh, helping other parents and able to come on here and share your experience with us. I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much, Heidi, for being on with us. And if you listeners would like to get connected with Heidi, you can find her on Instagram at Mental Wellness for Moms or go to her website, HeidiMcBain.com. I want to give a special shout out to the listeners who have been here since day one. And all of you who have joined since then, there is a plethora of information and education and podcast episodes to listen to. And I hope for those of you who are listening, you understand and know that you are not alone. This is why this podcast is here, to give you the information and to give you the hope and the knowledge that you can get through this. Please do share this episode or any episode with somebody who you know needs to know that they are not alone and can be supported by what we offer here. I thank you so much for being with us. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.